Hey guys, it's Whitney. I wanted to take some time to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com. They're a national private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities. They do this with private accredited investor funds. They have a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and control over $250 million in equity from their investors. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easier for you to start investing in real estate without all the hassles. They even have an average 62% repeat investor rate in each offering they put together. They even have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to fix and flippers locally and across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. To help you learn more, they have put together a free passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download the PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Well, many syndicators aren't going to have a million bucks just sit laying around for them, and they would love to potentially pursue all five deals. So what EMD funding would allow you to do is fund that deposit up front and allow you to take control of that property without having to now scramble and potentially lose the deal because you don't have access to those funds. So it's really meant to give someone a, a head start in a super competitive market where you have to move very quickly and have to have access to capital very quickly. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. Joining us today is Vernon Beckford. Vernon is the CEO of Diversified Lending Solutions, a capital advisory firm. Prior to launching DLS, Vernon's got a a wide background in commercial real estate. He spent five years on the investments team at Global Atlantic Financial Group, where he helped build out the real estate group, which invested opportunistically in the senior MES and Bridge loans. And he also has worked at CW Capital, an asset management firm, where he oversaw a portfolio of distressed loans, served as the negotiating party with property landlords. Vernon, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sam. Good to be here. Vernon, as I was digging into your background, noticed that you started DLS in March of 2020. There's a few other things happening in the world at that time. (laughs) Some would say it was best time ever to start a real estate focused service, but at the time, maybe not so much. What precipitated you going out starting DLS and what were those first couple of months like as you were navigating through a pandemic? Sam, I wish I could take credit for for starting the business in response to the pandemic. It certainly didn't happen that way. My partner and I started the business with the thesis that having come from the institutional real estate space, that the quality and the access of capital for that demographic was dramatically different than small to mid operators. Overwhelming majority of real estate transactions are less than $5 million in size. The overwhelming of resources, whether banking, whether advisory, whether it be capital market support, is all heavily slanted towards transactions. So our thesis was find a segment that has traditionally been overlooked or taken for granted and give them the same attention the Larsians have been accustomed to receiving for a very long time. Just so happened that COVID accelerated the business model because you found small business owners that were even more stressed out, even more confused, even more afraid because they didn't know what the world was going to look like from now. And they didn't have in most cases, a massive balance sheet that they could just sit on and say, we're just going to ride this out. And so in that moment, it actually turned out to be quite serendipitous for us because 
now folks are even more interested in understanding how they can be creative in respect to a world that's changing around us day by day. That's fascinating. Again, in March, we wouldn't have guessed that that would have been the outcome. <laughs> really, the appetite for debt continued to pick up. Obviously, the government printed a ton of money to try to keep liquidity in the system. Folks like you were crucial in connecting those people who really were in need as we were going through the lock um, with the capital that was necessary to keep the pipes moving. You talk a lot Absolutely. in your various resources that you put out on LinkedIn and on your website about working with syndicators. And I'm curious how you picked that as a niche. Syndicators can be a little bit of a dirty word, particularly when you're looking at the financing realm. As a class of real estate investors, we tend to be a little bit more on the novice end, not aware of industry norms, put together deals that are maybe a little bit outside the box. And so a lot of lenders give us the side eye. I'm curious what initially pointed you down that path because your background is more on the institutional side. What attracted you to syndicators? My partner and I viewed syndicators very similar to how I think venture capital firm would look at a young entrepreneur. Typically in VC, if you have an entrepreneur that has a disruptive idea and actually has a really plan on how to execute that, you wouldn't stop. They haven't done this before. Uh, so I'm completely dismiss them or they haven't done, uh, they haven't had a, so I'm not with them under any circumstances. That would be kind of silly. So for some reason, I think that there's a perception in commercial real estate that the same rules don't apply. Our point of view is that if you're smart, if you're hardworking, if you have the right people around you, everyone had to start some. So the idea is to help who already, by the way, finding great deals and already have done a lot of work to be able to figure out how to take their from point A to point B, how to make them look and feel to a lender that is just so used to things being a certain way. And so I think a big part of the value we add is to put, you know, to dust off our clients, for lack of a better term, who already kind of check eight out of the 10 box, but those last two could prevent them from ever getting the financing they want by virtue of them having that reputation assigned to them. Certainly found that real estate is an unfair business. The guys who've been playing the game for five, 10, 20 years or a whole career they just have built-in advantages. They tend to see the better deals first. They tend to get much better terms on financing. Their processes tend to be a lot easier. They have all those teams built up. I was actually having a conversation on Twitter yesterday uh, with a guy who was talking about all these hurdles that are somewhat unfair. I think it also serves to weed out some people who can't cut it. The barriers to entry are high. If you make it over, there's a pretty good chance that you're a very competent individual. Is that generally what you see is folks have that entrepreneurial mindset. You come with, mention that VC background that generally when they're coming to you, it's a lot of people who are very capable. They need a little bit of help getting uh, started off in their career in real estate. So Vernon, when folks like uh, syndicators are putting together a deal, I think a lot of the focus is on capital raising. And we're going out, we're networking with investors. In most cases, it's not the largest part of the capital stack. Do you see that misallocation of effort having downstream ramifications when it comes time to searching for and eventually selecting a loan product? 100%, Sam. See it all the time. Even though equity may make up anywhere from 20 to 30% of the cap stack, I find that sponsors tend to spend 80% of their time on the equity. And I understand why it makes sense, right? Because if you don't have the equity, you'll never get to the debt. But what that means is that 65 to 70% of your cap stack, you're kind of taking for granted that you'll be able to get over the finish line 
by virtue of spending that first 80% on equity. What I find is a lot of folks end up then looking into debt and realizing that that process is A, going to take a lot more time and effort than they thought, and that B, the terms they took for granted that they were, of course, going to get because their deal was so awesome, in many cases, isn't there. So I see it all the time. And I'm curious, you're very intentional in your language, Vernon, to talk about VLS and the fact that you guys are a capital advisory firm. You're not a broker. What's the distinction there? Why, why do you distinguish between those terms and what should we care on our side of the fence as customers? What's the difference for us? Sure, that's a great question. So the way that I would describe it is that every advisor acts as a broker, but not every broker acts as an advisor. A broker, from my point of view, is someone that may take your deal and give you access to a whole set of lenders and cross you to, right? But how much time I actually invest in looking into your business plan and helping you refine your business plan, how much time I actually spend in the negotiations of the loan and structuring it in such a way that's advantageous to you, how much time I spend in helping craft a plan to help you grow, not just on this deal, but the next deal are all functions of an advisor. So when you think of a company that goes into Goldman Sachs or goes to any major bank and says, okay, investment bank, help me think through how to optimize my capital structure on this deal in the future, right? That's a much larger role than just simply calling up five or 10 lenders on your behalf to see what loans you potentially get. So it's a far more expansive role. And I think that's why we're so effective taking someone who may have 500 doors under management and in a year's time, bring them to a thousand or take someone who has a thousand and take them to that next you know, major point in their career where they're managing 2000, which is very hard to do because when you start stepping into that next realm, you're dealing with a whole new level of sophisticated parties and you simply demand require more unless you're very, very qualified on your own to have an advisor next to you. For a lot of syndicators, the agency loan is the holy grail, non-recourse, relatively high leverage. You can get your, it's a menu of options, whether you want fixed rate or floaters, and there's upsides to, to all those strategies. But what a lot of people don't realize, at least until they get somewhat down the path, is that those agency loans are challenging, especially your first one. Getting that agency card is not easy. And there's also somewhat of, I think, a one-track mind um, that we can get where it's like, well, we got to figure out a big part of the capital stack. But there's all sorts of different kind of boutique options that are also out there that can help round out the entire capital stack. One of the ones that I had seen on your LinkedIn profile that I've heard about, but I've never had a discussion with someone about is earnest money funding. I was curious if you could elaborate a little bit on that and any other two or three favorite boutique options that you see that maybe layer in with a, a senior debt piece, but could be helpful as you're pursuing deals. Absolutely. So EMD funding is actually really, really unique in that funding that allows you to conserve your balance sheet at a time when your balance sheet's probably the most vulnerable. So in a competitive market like today, you're making 5, 10, 20 offers. And each of those offers are going to require you to put up a deposit. Now, if every single deal was accepted at the same time, right, you may have to come up with a million bucks in cash. I'll give you an example, right? If a couple hundred thousand bucks per deal and all five deals were accepted, that's a million bucks. Well, many syndicators aren't going to have a million bucks just sit laying around for them and they would love to potentially pursue all five deals. So what EMD funding would allow you to do is fund that deposit upfront and allow you to take control of that property without having to now scramble and potentially lose the deal because you don't have access to those funds. So it's really meant to give someone a, a head start in a super competitive market where you have to move very quickly and have to have access capital very quickly. 
Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. What are the general terms on something like that? I, I would imagine that's kind of akin to hard money in rate and points. Well, and that's what makes it such an awesome product because from our vantage point, we view it as a fairly low risk investment because we're funding the EMD uh, before the deposit has gone hard. So it's typically a 90 or 120 day product, depending on how the, the PSA is negotiated. And the cost is much cheaper than hard money, be anywhere from one to two points. So again, in the, if you're calling on a $200,000 EMD, you're talking about coming out of pocket two to 4,000 bucks, which is a heck of a lot more attractive than having to scramble and either you know exhaust your personal resources or go to an investor who may require a fairly significant piece of equity in that deal uh, for being the first dollar of risk in the transaction. It's very interesting. That, that is cheaper than I would have guessed, but I imagine that is heavily contingent on being refundable. They're going to want out of the deal once the money goes hard. Typical structure that we have used a lot is we get 30 to 45 days of due diligence and then another 45 to 60 days to close. So we're a 90 to 120 day contract. So we could get a loan on the EMD, maybe the first 30 to 45 days, but once that money goes goes hard, the expectation is we're going to replace that money with our own funds, maybe that we've raised from investors or our own. We've sorted through that, had more time to figure out alternatives and pay the one or two points at that point. Exactly right. It's very interesting. Any ceiling on that? I mean, can you get EMD for larger transactions, you know, one, $2 million, something along those lines? Absolutely. And that's, again, what makes it so exciting because once you're scaling into larger projects, it becomes an even bigger problem, right? And, and when you're trying to compete, when this is the first deal, for instance, that may be 30, 40, $50 million project and those EMDs are going up, we can match that. As well. Is there any other boutique products that you'd want to highlight that uh, might be useful for syndicators to know as they're chasing deals? You know, one of the, the cool products that I've really been speaking to people recently about has been PACE financing. And I think PACE is an area that some people are aware of, but most aren't. And essentially PACE provides financing for either new construction or value-add projects to promote energy efficiency measures on those projects. So so each state is different, and there are about 35 states that, that are currently participate in the program. But effectively, so long as the operator meets certain energy efficiency standards, they can qualify for a PACE loan that sits alongside their senior mortgage. And what makes that interesting is that that can help fill in the cap stack if for whatever reason the senior loan is either lower leverage or they just simply need to fill a gap with their equity check. In most states, you can fund a 30% of the project cost of, of a project into PACE and it's non-recourse financing, sits alongside 
the senior mortgage, and it usually prices very competitive relative to senior debt in the fours, fives. So when you think about your blended cost of capital with a PACE loan accompanying your senior loan, that can be a real enhancement to your, your returns because that's potentially equity, at least for some component of that that you didn't need to raise. When you say 30, you can get a loan up to 30% of the project cost. Is that the purchase price or is that the cost of the energy efficiency projects that you want to use the money for? It's 30% of project costs subject to each of those dollars being an energy efficiency compliant measure. So that would generally, I would imagine, come into play when you have maybe a big window project or you're wanting to upgrade insulation in a building or you're upgrading all of your interiors, new plumbing and electrical and all that sort of stuff. Exactly right. Now, the challenge and where you would incorporate a DLS is that for many senior lenders, PACE is still a product that isn't well socialized. And the senior lender has to approve a PACE loan. And so while there are some lenders that have gotten comfortable, there are many that either don't know what it is or have heard the name and just say, I'm scared. I don't want to figure it out. No. Right. So where we help the the client is actually walking the senior lender through that process, working in conjunction with them. So they get comfortable with the PACE funding alongside their senior loan. It's interesting. We've dealt with that situation a couple of times here recently where our senior lender, they really get picky about who's going to be a second behind them. I find the larger the institution, the more cookie cutter they want to get. If they're a little bit smaller, they might be a little bit more flexible and you can talk to the guy making the decisions. But uh, having somebody on your side who's walked through that loan process before is really helpful. Kind of along those lines, I'm just curious if you've seen any products that would help. Let's say you have an unexpected capital expenditure that you need to make on a property. You do have agency debt on it, but you don't necessarily want to go down the supplemental path. Have you seen any compelling options that would kind of fill if maybe you need like a loan, call it 5% of the overall project value and you're under 60% loan to value at the current time with your senior note? You know, that's an interesting question. It's a little bit more challenging, even though it's low leverage, because the senior lender is still going to have to approve that debt. And so in any case, whether it's 60, 70, 75, once you've gone down that agency path, it's usually very challenging to add on sub-debt after the fact. So, you know, that's why I always encourage folks when they're thinking about how they want to capitalize their project, think about that in advance, because you may go into a deal with a very low leverage basis, thinking that it'll be easier than it actually is to actually upsize that loan. That again, is part of the preparation process and thinking through what the end goal for the asset is. Just a note for all the operators out there. It's a so important to capitalize your project correctly. I've seen so many groups uh, that have been pinched halfway through their business plan because what do you know, construction costs were overrun. And even on large projects, 20, 30, $40 million acquisition costs, two or $300,000 can make a world of difference when it comes to capital improvements. You know, If you have a boiler go out, you know, boom, that's your 50K in the hole. It uh, doesn't take very many hits like that to significantly impact your business plan. And ultimately, that cost of capital, even if you have to raise that additional, call it a half million dollars even, it just doesn't lower your returns all that much. And it brings so much security to the project. So thankfully, we haven't learned that lesson the hard way, but we've definitely <laughs> starting out, we had a couple of projects that I wish I had brought even just another 100,000. It didn't make that big of a difference um, for us at the end of the day, but I'm glad we learned that lesson early. And, and now we make sure we bring significant reserves that don't have any name on them. They're just there as in case. What I find is that many operators in that bucket become so hyper-focused when they go out to get debt on interest rate and leverage, that they don't think through all the the structural nuances that may make their life easier in those kind of situations. It's almost as if you get a term sheet 
okay, the rate's what I want it to be. The leverage is what I want it to be. It matches my model. Check, move on to the next thing. There are all kinds of ways that you can work with the lender in terms of how future funding dollars are distributed, when made to the operator, things like that that start to really matter when you have these unexpected issues arise, which inevitably they always do. It's certainly true. So we're in a, a highly volatile environment these days. Everybody's looking at CNBC and in the Fox business network and everything else, and just watching the 10-year treasury bounce all over the place. You've got rumors of war, you've got inflation seemingly running amok, you've still got supply chain issues. All of that is impacting the debt market for commercial real estate. Well, Vernon, thanks for joining us on the show today. For folks who want to get in touch with Vernon and learn about what diversified lending solutions can provide in the debt and equity markets, uh, his website is dlsloans.com. You can also reach out to him on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, he's got a lot of good content, a lot of short two-minute videos talking about various items in the debt markets. I think you'd find him a, a valuable connection. Thank you to our audience. This has been another episode of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show. I'm your host, Sam Rust, signing off. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.